Hey, welcome to the Optive Podcast, where John Sekatowski, Nick Gibson, and me, Andy Schmidt, will be discussing some of the hard theological and cultural topics in the Bible, bringing three different perspectives from three different generations. Um, so, and today we have a special guest, Hannah Ahn. Hello, hi Thanks everyone. Thanks for joining. Hi, yeah, hi. Um, so today we're going to be talking about dating and what it looks like to, to be a Christian and to date in the world that we live in today where dating usually goes wrong. And a so topic I'm, mentioned many times mm-hmm. in the Bible. Over yes, and over. Right. Yeah. It, it, this is this is a cultural topic, not not a theological We're topic. Diving into the, the hard uh, topics in the Bible. In the Bible. Uh, like like <laughs> dating and television. Good. Good. And space travel. <laughs> so tune in next week for those other topics. <laughs> space travel next week. We're gonna be talking about that. Um okay. So John. We talked about this in the we car ride. In, in the epic and car ride, yes. The epic car ride that everybody knows about. I don't think about. everyone um, knows about that. We, we took a car ride <laughs> to Kentucky. Seven hours there, seven hours back, and John started talking to me about dating. And he started telling me all these... To me, at the time, there were crazy things about dating. And then we argued about it, and then we kind of agreed on it. And so, John, what's your, what's your perspective on dating? So, uh, to put this in context, Andrew is a gentleman who dated the so what we might call the normal American way, which is a little less like how the Bible would outline it in his earlier days. I didn't even date. Yeah. I, so we get to say that I just indulged in sexual sin for okay. for a time. For a time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and then he came so, sort of more to right. Jesus and was like, oh, how is this supposed to be done? Because I'm apparently doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. Right, so, and, and then and then my experience was I probably did what you said, where I sort of had a Christian veneer over the cultural idea of dating, and that led to a couple of longer relationships that ended really poorly and had all sorts of confusion and heartbreak and all that stuff that I think really could have been avoided. Yeah, and and for the audience. Um, both Andrew and John are still single right. men. So, <laughs> though, though John is going steady with someone. So, for the record, <laughs> so uh, yeah. So we'll see if my advice is actually helpful. Um, so I uh, I read much of much of my ideas of what dating should be like come from a book called Raising Purity. Um, so this is a book written by a guy who is a pastor in the Chicagoland area, and I read this book soon after getting out of a long relationship and after reading the book, my conclusion was that if I had done much of what was in this book, it would have led to shorter relationships that were clear with what was going on um, and hopefully a lot quicker discernment either to head into marriage or out of marriage. And So the name of the book and author is... The name of the book is Raising Purity by Gerald Heistand. Highly recommend that. Who recommended that book uh, That was my pastor, Nicola Gibson, who recommended that book to me and he's not here right now. Um, but some of the ideas in this book is it starts by asking what is dating for? What are we supposed to be? What are we supposed to be trying to accomplish as we're partnering up with other people and in that discernment process? And his argument from the beginning is that what dating is for is it's for discerning whether or not you would be a suitable partner with somebody for marriage. So that should be what we keep in mind as we're, doing this thing called dating. And then he also looks at, okay, dating is not explicitly mentioned in the Bible. So 
in what sort of human category of relationship should dating fall into? And so he lays out a couple. He lays out the marriage relationship, the neighbor relationship, and the family relationship. And then he defines what are the sexual bounds in each one of those relationships. So in the marriage relationship, presumably sexual bounds are removed, but in the neighbor and family relationship, it is pretty clear in much of the Bible what sexual relationships are supposed to look like in those contexts. AKA they shouldn't be there. You shouldn't have a sexual relationship with somebody in your family. You shouldn't have a sexual relationship with your neighbor. And so then he, he then takes this idea of dating and he's like, okay, presumably since it's not mentioned in the Bible, we can assume that this isn't something that God meant to sort of blur some of those lines or be a separate category that doesn't fall into one of these other categories. So what should that mean for dating? Where should it fall? Should it fall in the marriage relationship? Should it fall in the family relationship? Should it fall in the neighbor relationship? And his argument is that it should fall in the neighbor slash family relationship. Now, he makes the distinction clear that it's not the same, like not every neighbor relationship is the same. So Andy, my relationship with you as a close friend is different than my relationship with, you know, Aaron down the hall, who is a coworker who I work with sometimes. So there are distinctions within the neighbor relationship. However, the sexual bounds that the Bible makes very clear sh- that should be contained around that neighbor relationship should be the same bounds that are put around your dating relationship. So he points to, but your mar- but your date, but you- okay, your neighbor relationships become your marriage relationship, your right? Wife, your your right. pool of of people to right. date are, the, are, yeah. So it's it's certainly a different thing, you know. It's still even though it's within the larger context of some of those bounds of the neighbor relationship, it's still a different relationship. It's still a relationship where you are intentionally with this person discerning whether or not you would have a future as husband and wife together. So that's his basic argument. And uh, some of that's also founded on the uh, verse in first Timothy, where Paul is talking to Timothy and he says to treat older women as mothers and younger women as sisters in absolute purity. And so the argument that he refers to there is that that is the way we should be acting towards younger women as younger men. Okay. In which in the book he literally says, so one of the ways to figure out if you should be doing X, Y, or Z with someone is, would it be okay to do that with your mother or sister? If it's okay to do it with your mother or sister, then it's totally fine because it's by definition not a sexual act. If it would be very weird. If you did it with your mother or your sister, then it's a sexual act. That's why you feel or would feel weird about it. And therefore, and his argument is, is that to someone who is not your wife, you have zero sexual rights mm-hmm. to them. And that's a pretty strong point he makes right. in that book is that um, sexuality isn't, isn't just a mechanism of consent in the Bible. It's a mechanism of rights. Mm-hmm. Like the, the Bible speaks of it in terms of rights. And so because of that, the question is, do you have any right to that person, even if they want to give you rights to them? Mm-hmm. And the answer is not unless they're your husband or wife. Yeah, I think that idea um, is something that came up a lot in my dating, where at the thought of doing things physically together, I, I kept having the thought, I, I don't have the right to that part of you right now. Even when we were engaged, we knew that we were going to get married. I don't have the right to that part of you. You don't have the right to that part of me. And I don't have the right to give you that part of me. 
in this context. So I think that mm-hmm. is um, a really important thing to remember. Yeah, and that mutual consent isn't a good enough reason to give those things to one another. That there is that there is a reason that goes beyond those things. Um, and and so in in the book, what Gerald Heisen, the point that he makes is that though the word dating is not explicitly mentioned in the Bible, and though in our kind of wider Christian culture that is used oftentimes as like a, hey, you know, you just got to kind of feel it out, walk by the spirit, don't have sex, but like you got to kind of just figure it out. His argument is no. The Bible talks about dating on many of the pages because it talks about the neighbor relationship and the sexual bounds in the neighbor relationship on many of its pages. So what should that look like? Some of the things that um, are his conclusions is similar to what you said, Nick. So there shouldn't be a claim of on the person's sexuality. Like it should be clear within a relationship where you're pursuing somebody, where you're interested in that person, that you do not have dibs on them. And that's right. So, so sexually you don't, have, you don't have a claim on their sexuality and you don't have a claim on their right. future. Right. I think, I think we should like be more clear on, on what is like sexually wrong because I think like you guys know what is wrong. Cause this like you guys work in a church and you just like know the Bible, but for your average Christian who who likes to make up excuses and and that kind of thing or, or doesn't actually know like if because you told me in the car that kissing was a sin and I I lost my crap because um, I don't think that it is. Still, I uh, I don't think but, I used exactly those words without a broader context, but right. But I, I but, think but that was book, a conclusion we worked towards. Yes. But in the book also that you gave me was that the guy did explicitly say that, that kissing was a sin. And so, and I could find the page for you because um, he didn't say it. Uh, but I, I just think like. But I think that might be a bluff. I, th- I, I also think that. <laughs> I don't know. He, he, he said it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Anyways, we're just, we're just going towards like, yeah, what is sexual yeah. sin and, and what's not? And, and at what point do you. Like where where do you find this stuff in the Bible and and how can we know this? Because I know it's like easy for us to talk about it and be like, right, yeah, totally, stop totally. So I think what Nick said is right. Is that the yeah. distinguishing thing can be okay? Can I do this with my mom or sister? That is the, the, the author of Raising Purity. That's right. his argument, right? And gosh, it's hard to objectively. Right. There's maybe that. Right. There's maybe <laughs> tiny nuances you can add to that, but like. There is a way of holding somebody's hand that I would be able to comfortably do with my mom or my sister. And there is a way of doing that that I would not be able to comfortably do with my mom or sister. I think that's also potentially true of kissing. However, I think, I mean, I just think that gets into a lot trickier ground pretty quick. Um, But some people don't have, like some people don't, don't have a good relationship with their mom or their sisters or whatever. Like they don't, they don't know this stuff. They don't know. Like if I were to go and ask, they still would feel feel weird putting their tongue in their mother's mouth. Yeah, yeah I understand that. Less than great relationship with their mom. They'd still be like, oh yeah, I wouldn't do that with my mom. Right. Yeah. May, maybe that. But like, I think you also could say, is this something you would do with your dad? <laughs> <laughs> you could say that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So I guess I guess that makes sense. I'm just trying to think of you know, like people my age don't. 
So, okay, so we can break it down into two parts. Okay, so some people be like, oh my gosh, that's just crazy. Okay, so let's break it down in two parts. Objectively speaking, the main objective categorization where the Bible says you can't do this explicitly is sex. Okay, that's explicitly says that human beings who are not married to each other are not supposed to have sex with each other. Period, full stop. Okay. That is the like 100% objective guideline. Now, part part of the issue here is how how naive is your anthropology? Like what what you believe a human being actually is? How naive are you willing to be? Right because the human being, the human body is designed like in its endocrinology, in its sexuality, in everything about the human body to get from sight to sex, especially with men as fast as possible. Okay. Even like looking at a woman, every woman, every man sees gets a thumbs up or a thumbs down in their mind. Like immediately they know I either would or would not have sex with that person. And that starts a process that's designed to lead to male orgasm. The biological intention of which is impregnating somebody or affirming your masculinity or like whatever you want. But like it's, it's meant to get to male orgasm in a place where fertility can happen. Okay. Now, if that's the case and, and as as the ball rolls down that hill, it snowballs because your body more and more actively puts you in an altered state of consciousness to get you to sex. Because here's the thing, like just objectively think right now about a crying baby screaming at two o'clock or a teenager yelling F you at you at the top of their lungs or like, you just think about what it would actually be like to have children. Now, especially for men, the idea of caring for and being responsible for children, like passing on our image genetically and like having lots of uses running around that other people take care of. There's a primal sense in which that sounds fantastic because of course there should be more of me. Right. But like at the actual work of working with a wife to provide for a family and raise children is not something that naturally appeals to people when they think about it. Okay, so when I've had young people say to me, like 16-year-olds or 22-year-olds, be like, why, did, if God wants us not to have sex till we're married, right, why the heck did he make the sexual urge so strong? And the answer is, because if he didn't, you wouldn't be here, right? The sexual urge is as strong as it is, and the birth, the birth rate in Europe is 1.2. The entire continent is going extinct, okay? With how strong the sex drive is right now, okay, which is really strong. So, like, if God had made the drive to have sex even a slightly less strong, it's decently likely there just wouldn't be any human beings because we're so selfish, right? So, like, it, so if, if you recognize that, that that's the case, that it rolls downhill, it intensifies the closer you get to sex, it puts you in an altered state of consciousness so that you'll make any excuse. It's kind of like when you're drunk. You know, you know when you get in a car when you're drunk and you drive it that you could die. That nothing happens to impair that. You just don't care when you're drunk, right? So... Similarly, like that happens when you're aroused. You know that if you have sex with this woman, she could get pregnant and you could have a child and like you'd have all these responsibilities. The state of arousal makes you like you're drunk. You just don't care as much, right? In locker rooms, guys talk about, they use slang for male erections and they say, that has no conscience, which is true, right? Aroused men behave as though they have no moral conscience oftentimes unless they're pretty strongly developed morally and spiritually. Now, if that's the case, where do you exactly think you can get into this ball rolling down the hill and control it? And the answer is freaking nowhere. There's nowhere you can get into this sexual process 
and control it. It's not a controllable process. It is fundamentally biologically designed to get you to sex, emotionally, physically, and in every possible way. It's working to get you there. So, like, I've met, yeah, it's, it's just, so I think it's incredibly naive and therefore profoundly imprudent and unwise to think, oh, we'll just make out and it'll be fine. No, it'll be fine for four minutes. And then your, your natural arousal drive is going to drive you to the next step. And maybe you won't do it that night, but in a couple nights you will. And like just bonding theory, right? If you put two, a man and a woman together and they stay together and nothing's holding them apart. And about something like between 200 and 400 hours of just relational time, they're going to have sex no matter who they are. Just men and women are made to, to even like a, you get, you get put with a woman you don't even find attractive. Like the first sight, she gets a thumbs down instead of a thumbs up. If there aren't other women around, in about a one week, she becomes a thumbs up, no matter what she looks like. And then over time, you'll naturally be attracted to her because your desires will will like order themselves to what's available, right? Which is necessary. So like if you start to, if, even if you're an atheist and you just start to think in a realistically biological way about sex, you realize that like it's all or nothing. And so it's either all or nothing. So either you go, well, we're just going to have sex. It's fine. We'll get there in a week or in 20 minutes. Or we probably shouldn't be putting our tongues in each other's mouths because we're going to end up having sex. Right. But you can kiss without putting your tongues in each other's yeah. mouths. And that's where the, I think that's where our argument started. Where I, I would agree. If you, if you start making out, there's a good chance you're just going to start doing other things. But, yeah. but I think like the argument would be, well, what if we just wanted like a, a peck or like a little kiss and, I don't personally. I, I, personally, I, I yeah. don't know the, how well, that would but be. But the way arousal works is it tricks your mind just enough to do the very next, barely next thing, yeah. which then triggers more arousal. So if you give the, the your whoever you're with, well, I'll just give her a peck on the on the lips. Yeah. Right. Um, what arousal will do is say, "Well, just just part your lips a little bit when you do it. Mm-hmm. Just part, just just a tiny bit." Or let there be like a tiny bit of dampness, like in there, like just a little moisture, because right. like, and then that'll be like, oh yeah, and then, and then women are by nature designed kind of to be responsive to that sort of thing, and they often respond. So it's not necessarily like a sin; it's just wise to not do it. I think an argument can be made that it's a, if you have no sexual rights to someone and you do something that causes or drives forward arousal, it's by definition sexual. And if theologically we're right, that you have no sexual rights to someone and you're doing a sexual act with them, you could argue that that's a sin. So the Bible nowhere calls right, that a sin. Right. If, if, it's right. A, if you're doing something to, to arouse uh, the, the sexual whatever. Um, <laughs> so, okay, so Andy, person, Andy, let me put it this way. So like in a number of places in the New Testament, what it actually says is not, find out what the Bible calls a sin and don't do it. Right. What it actually mm-hmm. says in the New Testament over and over again is understand what the Lord's will is. Yeah. That's what it says. And so I think the argument I think Gerald would make and I think John and I have been persuaded by is if, if what you're really after is what the Lord's will is and that's what you're trying to live out, his, what Romans 12 calls his good, pleasing, and perfect will, then I think in that context you would say, yeah, it seems crazy culturally, but if I understand what I'm like biologically, I understand what God's will is to have purity towards somebody I'm not yet married to. And if I, and part of that is to create the sexual tension driving me towards making a commitment to marriage, then it's probably God's will for me to be prudent and wise and therefore to not do this. So if what I'm interested in is God's will, I'm not going to 
not going to do this. That's different than saying it's sin. The, the objective, like, if you do this, you are by definition sinning and grieving the Lord. The biblical standard is sex. You know? I, think, I think when we talk about purity, most people just talk about, like, sexual purity. But I think that there's, like, an emotional purity as well. And at what point, like, at what point as Christians do you, in a dating relationship have you gone too far emotionally to the point where it doesn't feel like you're dating? You know, because marriage... Or like married couples, they know things about each other that only married couples know. And if you treat dating like that, then haven't you emotionally gone too far? Yeah, I think one thing that's helpful about the way that this argument is laid out, specifically in this book, um, but is, so right, one of those central axioms is you have no claim to this person. So it's actually not helpful to give each other the name boyfriend and girlfriend for the sake of keeping sort of eyes wide open to what's actually going on right now. We have not gained anything, you know, like we're not, we're not at a place where, Oh, now we have, we've achieved a relationship so we can settle here for a little while before then we achieve the next relationship, which would be engagement or marriage. So I think what that can do is it gives you a better sense of what's actually going on right now. And some of that problem sort of goes away as you see that any security you would have felt to be able to share some of those things beforehand because of the fact that you were in a quote-unquote dating relationship isn't there. Because what you know about the other person is they're interested in discerning whether or not to move forward with you, but they aren't there yet. And so that creates a sense of, okay, I'm going to be more cautious in the parts of my heart that I'm giving to this person Um in this time. So I think some of, I think some of that goes away as you have that idea of, okay, I'm not, I haven't gotten anything. We haven't achieved some relationship. And that's meant to undermine another really profound sociological fallacy that people believe in now, which is romantic relationships are best developed in the absence of covenantal commitment, which is false. So I met with a couple yesterday who's been married three months and they dated like something like a year before they got married. I think they dated for almost a year and then they were engaged for almost a year and then they got married. But most of their most of their relationship was distance. And they they were having some arguments that were pretty common to early marriages. And I said, here's what you guys need to realize. You're married, but you're just getting to know each other. You barely know each other. And I said, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, that's what marriage is supposed to be like. You're not supposed to know somebody as your soulmate entirely and then get married. I said it's almost like Christian salvation. At your wedding wedding is basically the act of justification by faith alone. Like where, like in faith, you're declared righteous. You're declared you belong to God. You belong to him. You have a relationship with God. And then the rest of your life, you figure out what that means, right? Similarly, the way romantic relationships are supposed to function in God's economy is you find somebody you know is a suitable partner. You're persuaded enough that they're a suitable partner. You marry them. Then your romance begins. Then you get to know them. Mm-hmm. Then you figure out who you've actually married. Then you figure out how you can love that person that you're married. And the, and you experience a sexual relationship. Mm-hmm. All those things together. And so I think that's really important to understand that. Because what people think now is that you have a romance and then we have a marriage and your romance ends. And the fact that people do that, especially when they have children, is just part of worldliness. Like Christians don't realize that's all supposed to be false. Right. Um, so oh, there's another really controversial part of this that um, that I think is important too, and that is is that because I believe this, I also encourage young men to ask out women who are dating other people. <laughs> so 
So and some guys really hate this, <laughs> and I don't care. <laughs> so so like for example, if there's a, a girl, so I've had guys say, "Look, I just really like this girl. She's dating this other guy, and they've been dating for like a year." And I'm like, "So." Hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, so I've Hannah. come in. I've come in your office and asked you that before. Right, right, and I told you to ask her out. Right. Wait. Okay. How, how do you feel about that? Because I, because I've heard this. I've heard this idea. I've heard that. And I. Why shouldn't she have the option of this other man if the other man hasn't married her? But in the world that we live in today, like if a guy, if you're dating a guy mm-hmm. and somebody came up to you and was like, "I don't care that you're dating mm-hmm. a guy," because not everybody has this view of. Of dating, and right. so they would just be like. But I've had I've had those guys come to me, and I've actually had guys come to me and say, "Did you tell so and so that they could ask out my girlfriend?" I said, "Yes," and they're like, "Where the heck do you get that?" Sometimes foul language is used. Get off telling. I'm like, if you want to lock your girlfriend down, then marry her. <laughs> oh, okay. Don't like right now. Basically, you want her to be committed to you when you've not pledged your future to her. What are you just going to use up half of her twenties because you feel like it? Marry her, and then and then I would never. And then if that guy asks out your girlfriend, I'll put him under church discipline and kick him out of the church if necessary, because now he's engaged. He's pursuing a woman who someone does have sexual rights to, and a woman who has sexual rights to another man. Does that make sense? That's why adultery is outlawed in the Bible, not poaching a girlfriend. Yeah. And the reason that's important is is that that's meant to motivate the guy dating the girl not to take his time. How dare he? What, what if it doesn't work out? What if dating you don't want to marry? <laughs> it's dating capitalism. You could think of it that way. You could, I prefer dating free market. <laughs> Sorry. So Hannah, do you have ideas? Yeah, I mean, I actually lived kind of a, a sort of version of this. Um, and I remember like when I was in college, maybe I liked a guy who was in a relationship. And I remember people encouraging me like, you should just ask him out. Like they're not married. Like until there's a ring on it, it's free game. And I was deeply right. offended by that principle. I was like, no, I am not that kind of person. I'm not going to breaking up perfectly good relationships just because I want something. Uh, so I was pretty committed to that principle that you just don't touch it. Like let it break up naturally. If God wants it, it'll come. Just wait for your turn. Um, and then I found myself that I actually, I liked my husband for two years before we started dating but he was dating someone else the whole time and so I was just kind of keeping my respectful distance Um, and then when it started to feel like something might be shifting I remember talking with Nick and I was like I just hate this whole situation like he's dating this girl but I feel like he he, like has some like attention towards me and I really like him but I don't want to get involved in this and I feel like this is I just feel gross about this and he was like Mm -hmm. and what was your thoughts on that, Nick? Yeah, I, I think I encourage you to confront him. Yeah. I? Yeah, to say, to say that, to say, listen, it seems like you're acting with affection towards me. You're dating another girl. She thinks that you aren't doing that. And so you need to bring this whole thing above board. If you like me, you need right. to do something right. about it. And at the time, I was asking a lot of people that I knew and respected uh, like, what should I do in this situation? And what I really wanted them to tell me was like, <laughs> he's no good, walk away, just let go of it. <laughs> because honestly, I was really scared of wanting this relationship. But everyone that I knew and respected said, you know, sometimes people get confused and these things happen and you should just confront him and talk to him about it. Um, and so eventually I did that and I said, look, 
Because part of it too, his girlfriend, his relationship with the girlfriend was very long yeah. distance. And you, I remember you telling me that in Korea, this was fairly normal for younger mm-hmm. people that they never wanted to be without having a boyfriend right. or girlfriend. And so you thought there was a cultural aspect. Right. Of it for too. context, my husband is South Korean, uh, and so he'd mm-hmm. been dating a girl for three years, but they like went three months without talking sometimes, and they only right. saw each other like once every six months maybe, and barely ever mm-hmm. talked. And um, but it is kind of part of the culture, I think, from my observation that you kind of just, it's socially expected that you have to be with someone. Otherwise, you could get no end of grief from everyone you know. Um, So I did ask him and I said, hey, you know, I think of you as more than a friend. I like that, but I can't do this like in between thing. And I don't think it's fair to your girlfriend. And, And he said, well, actually, I just broke up. And I see you as a woman too. And I think we should give this a try. <laughs> and so, and then six months, five months later, we were engaged. Um, so I'm kind of been converted to your opinion in that. Like, um, yeah, especially thinking more deeply about what does it mean to be dating and what rights do you have? You know, I really do think there's something important there that um, you don't have exclusive rights to to the person that you're dating. You know, you have relational obligations. You know, you have to be honest and um, honor their their expectations towards you in some sense. Um, But you don't own And I don't encourage, and I have, I do have a sexist double standard on this too. I don't, I don't, I I think I've told you this, John, that I think that a girl can say yes to more than one guy asking Mm -hmm. her out, but that I think a man honorably should pursue one woman until rejected and then choose to pursue another yeah. woman. Why? Because I, besides the fact that that's what happens in nature <laughs> in, among all creatures, um, it's it also like, um, I think that A, men have sort of forced the hand on this because men tend to more often engage in long-term relationships with women that are going mm-hmm. nowhere. And I think, one of, I mean, one of the things that I've liked about encouraging other men to ask out other men's girlfriends is that the, the result of this often is, is that the guy who is the right. boyfriend gets right. serious. And he goes, shoot, I need to lock her down. In fact, one of the, one of the people that I talked to John about, there was, this, there was this young woman in the church who just was very sweet, attractive, but like godly, sweet, funny, intelligent, like... She kind of had it all. And her boyfriend was just kind of, you know, just kind of hanging around, just a nice guy. And, you know, just uh, like, uh, like a, a good guy. And she seemed to really adore him. And, but he just wasn't, it wasn't really going anywhere. And I knew it was frustrating her because she's a really like a get it done kind of person. So I told a, a couple, and I had like four guys come to me and say, I think I'm in love with this woman. Can I ask her out even? I don't right? think those were my words for the record. No, those weren't your words. But I told all four of those guys, well, then you should ask her out. But then I went to her boyfriend. And I told, I said, listen, I've had four guys say that they want to ask out your girlfriend. And I told them all that they should since you're not engaged. And I'm just telling you that because you may want to know that a lot of people are interested in her and they're going to ask her out. And he was like, Whoa. <laughs> and then they were engaged in like six weeks. Yeah. Yeah. He got a ring quick and they're married now and seem to be perfectly happy. So like, because men have really been jerks about this. They just, because men generally speaking, like men and women get different things out of marriage and they get them at different ages. And so men are reluctant to marry because they pay second into a marriage. So women pay first. 
So women pay, because what men are interested in is their youth and sexuality. They want a hot young woman to have sex with. And their fertility. Women are giving their fertility first. So they're like having babies. They have to be pregnant. And they have to have the baby. And they have to go through the nursing. And they're like, it's, it's a big issue. And then they're probably working on the side. And like, so women have this life stage that's very difficult, right? And about the time the kids are getting off to school, things kind of wane down a little bit for mom, right? And at that point, the man has been working like their butt off. And they're kind of getting to like the peak of their job. But their job is also the hardest it's been, right? And at that point, the guy has more stress, and he's carrying this family, and he's making as much money as he can, and he's trying to make it in, the, in, in a place in the work world that's usually much more cutthroat than the woman's place. Women tend to choose more white-collar, like, collegial kinds of jobs that you don't get fired from easy. Um, they tend to make less money, but it's more stable, and the guy often has the more entrepreneurial, more difficult job, right? And so the guy realizes, like, crap, I know I'm doing more. Like, I'm stressed out. I'm working 65-hour weeks to pay for this family, and, like, my kids are in school. My wife's just, like, she's going out on wine dates in the middle of the day. You know what I mean? Not always, but sometimes. And so oftentimes in that era of life, this like early middle age to late middle age, men feel like they're giving more, right? And then oftentimes after that in later life, oftentimes men's health breaks down earlier and women end up then picking back up again. So over the course of a, of a lifespan, people aren't paying in the same. What men are motivated to do is enjoy a woman's youth, then drop her, and when he's in his peak, to pick up another woman that's in her peak giving stage. That is marrying a woman 15 years younger, right? Or a woman who's as, um, who has not engaged in giving their fertility to somebody and has instead focused on their career so they're equally as accomplished. So you might, sometimes you have women who will marry a man and then the man will treat her as what is sometimes referred to as a starter wife. So that when that guy finally becomes a lawyer, he realizes that the woman he married isn't also a lawyer, but there's this lady in the, in the firm who's a lawyer who's pretty hot and is a lawyer, the reason his wife isn't a lawyer is because she sacrificed dramatically so new humans could exist mm-hmm. and so on so that she couldn't do that, right? So then he drops her, pays some alimony or whatever, and marries this, his second wife, his, quote, non-starter wife, who's also a lawyer, right? There's all kinds of that crap that goes on, right? And so some of this stuff is designed to, like, make men more honest mm-hmm. earlier. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes, yeah, so what I found, I mean, what I found really helpful about this sort of paradigm shift and and he lays out kind of clearly in one of his chapters of okay what should this look like so he he proposes the alternate of instead of a quote-unquote dating relationship he proposes a quote-unquote dating friendship and he's like at the beginning of the chapter he's like listen the only reason i'm using those terms is because the word dating relationship has so much attached to it that shouldn't be a part of what you're trying and to so do. has the word courtship. right and so does the word josh courtship. josh what's his Joshua name harris, josh yeah. harris kind of destroyed the word courtship. Right. Um, it, I don't really think it was his fault. I think people took his, mm-hmm. he wrote Buck Nuts Crazy. Right. He, I mean, he was um, 21 when he wrote the book. Like. Yeah, he should have never been writing anything. And it ended up destroying his faith. I think when, mm-hmm. like, he said he lost his faith, it was after they did this documentary where he was confronted with all these people who were eventually harmed by his teaching. And I think that's what actually really ended up destroying his faith, which is really dumb because the basic idea in the book, I Guess Dating Goodbye, is just basically like, don't date willy nilly. But like I've had a number of younger women come in and I've counseled them and they're like, yeah, I was basically taught that it like if you liked a guy and you went on a date like you were Satan, mm-hmm. you know, I think what happened is that churches and people went buck nuts crazy with mm-hmm. that book, you know, and instead of doing the eating the watermelon and spitting out the seeds, they just like made it a new dating religion. And you should. So like I think dating friendship is an attempt to say to have a high level of intentionality 
without a super high level of expectation and pressure. What a lot of young people felt with the Harris stuff was, well, we're courting. That means like all dating relationships are pointed towards marriage, so it's much more serious, much more focused. And what ended up happening was they poured tons of pressure on themselves. And it just like really wrecked a bunch of people's early experiences and it hurt them really badly. And so by dating friendship, it keeps the intentionality, but it takes away some of the like crazy mm-hmm. pressure. Right. Yeah. So it keeps, it keeps kind of eyes wide open to, okay, what we're doing right now is we're trying to discern whether or not we'd be suitable partners for marriage with one another. But the focus on what we're going to do right now is becoming friends. And right in the midst of that is when we'll be doing our discerning and things like that. Right. Which is anthropologically correct because I mean, <laughs> Siler Thomas is a youth pastor in, and Illinois used to say, he's like, he he wrote the book on marriage in the first book we wrote together. And he said, what do you think I was doing for the last 30 minutes before I started writing this chapter? A, writing a love poem that I recited to my wife, followed by passionate kissing and lovemaking. Or B, cleaning up the, like, splattering diarrhea from our six four year, sick four-year-old. You know what I mean? And the answer turned out to be the latter. Because he's like, you know, you're, you're like having sex with your partner like less than 1% of the time. Mm-hmm. You're not even in their presence, usually more than about 40% of the time in your life, okay? So, like, what do you think this whole thing is built on? It's not built on sexual compatibility. You can have extremely modest sexual compatibility, which almost never happens because it turns out men and women are made to be sexually compatible with each other. Like, I, when people are like, I don't know if I'll be sexually compatible with my this other person. I'm like, are they a woman? And they're like... Well, well, yeah. I was like, well, then you're sexually compatible with them. You know, like it's very, unco- there's a few like biological problems that sometimes people can have that are very strange that sometimes create like a physical sexual incompatibility. But just, it, they're, we're biologically, that's not, it. the biggest issue is friendship. Like, are you friends and can you work together with this person in the cooperative nature of building a house? Yeah, right. I remember a bit ago, that's, that, that's I remember a bit ago when you were talking about um, I think it was a podcast with you, Nicole and Jill, and either you or Nicole said, yeah, probably what's more important than sexual compatibility is like humor compatibility. Yes, absolutely. Which yeah. is, which is just like also, such a current, like current cultural moment. That's a, a mind blowing thing. Right. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, well, and, and part of the deal is people don't understand sex at all. Even people who have it, they don't even like young people who have sex don't understand sex at all. The thing that makes sex intense is not the athletification of sex. Like, can you do this thing or that thing? And do you do it well enough? Right? Like, especially when young people are having sex, the nervous system of a man, male genitalia is still so dramatically sensitive at that age that usually intercourse lasts like, like average intercourse for a man under 30 years old is less than two and a half minutes. I mean, the whole thing just hardly lasts at all. And when somebody's, drunk unless they're really drunk and their nervous system is impaired it's even faster so like it's not like this thing even lasts very long the intensity of sex comes from two things one having it and two how much you perceive the other person desires you at least from the male perspective that's always true for women but it's it's a big part for women if you think the person you're having sex with really wants to have sex with you and really likes that you are doing these things to them and they're choosing to have sex with you instead of not have sex with you Sex is great. And if either of those two things are lacking, both of them are very important. Sex is terrible if you're an emotionally healthy person. There are some people who don't care if the, other, if the person they're having sex cares right, because the issue they're dealing with is they're getting their rise out of power rather than belonging. 
But for, for an emotionally healthy person who actually cares about the person they're with, those are the two most important things. Some of the happiest husbands sexually I've ever met have have been married to very, like, looks unremarkable women. Right? And some of the most sexually distraught men that I've ever met have been married to some, like, apparent goddesses. And they're just like, she hasn't had sex with me in like a year and a half. Everything's power with her. And then I, I've met families that were like, both people were kind of like overweight. And you're like, do you even have sex? Because I don't even want to picture that. And they're just like, the guy's like, I'm thrilled, man. She loves, she, like, she has sex with me all the time. And she acts like she likes it. It's great. So like the the conceptions people have in their heads, they're like, you know, if I don't, if I don't marry a girl who's like, has super hot and is always wearing lip gloss. And like, I can see her midline and she's got nearly a six pack and a huge butt. And like, it's, I'm just going to be unhappy. It's like, that's completely, like, none of that's true about actual human life. And whether or not the other person likes you or hates you determines for women especially whether or not they want to have sex with you. So the, your emotional and relational compatibility actually not only dictates your friendship, but dictates whether or not the person really wants to be with you on the deepest level of being with you. So all right. that friendship stuff right. and even humor feeds into you having sex, which is the most important part of having good sex, is having it. You'd be surprised how many American marriages and how many American dating relationships are essentially sexless. So even if all you want out of marriage is to be sexually fulfilled, if that's the only thing you want out of your marriage, have a friendship-based dating relationship in which you figure out whether you're deeply compatible as friends and in terms of humor or whether you like each other. That is the most likely thing. You're more likely to have a happy sexual relationship than if you have sex with a person a bunch of times to figure out if you're, quote, sexually compatible. And that just basic human, like, if you just think about that for a minute and you just let that simmer, you'll be like, you know what, that's that's just, you don't have to be a Christian. That's just biology. That's just That's just observable nature and human interaction that there's nothing even theological about that it just turns out that the bible teaches what's actually true and so things you can learn other ways the bible will also teach you if you're willing to listen yeah so i think um so his basic paradigm right is these dating friendships where it's it's a recognition of this is what we're heading towards but what we're doing right now is we're establishing a friendship with one another and we're keeping clear for both of us that we aren't by nature, uh, by like the nature of this relationship, exclusive. So he, he does talk about in the book that, especially for young men, a giving of voluntar- voluntary exclusivity that's not contingent on her being willing to give exclusivity um, or anything like that, but just kind of being focused on her could be a helpful thing as you're doing that mm-hmm. and as you're trying to discern clearly. But you don't have, like, that exclusivity doesn't, doesn't, mean that you have dibs doesn't mean that she has dibs doesn't mean that nobody else can ask her out and so what i've made what i've tried to make clear in the last couple dating relationships i've initiated dating friendships i've initiated thank you andy is um from the outset that if another guy asks you out and you like him you should go on a date with him now at, I, and I made clear too, at some point, I'm going to ask you if you would just let me know beforehand so I can maybe up my game. But like, I have no right to stop you from that. And what I found in both in my heart and in the heart of a lot of young men who I've told about this is there's a certain like masculine honorability that comes with this paradigm of recognizing, no, this is a way for me to protect her fertility. This is a way for me to protect her 
her exclusivity. This is a way for me to honor her future relationships. This is a way in my life to honor my future relationships, to honor my relationship with my future wife, my future wife's family, all of those things that, that, that weight, when you present that weight to young men and you do it in such a way that it's like compelling and reasonable and understandable, a lot of young men are wanting to bear it, you know, because it's, it is a, it is something that just feels sort of right to young men. Yeah, and I think maybe just as a woman, I find that really an attractive idea. I feel like if a guy came to me and said that, I would think, oh, like he's really serious about this and uh, like he's going to he's gonna stay in the game, you know? He's not just going to like enjoy me and not think about the future. Um, and he values that I have a choice in this. Um, and you know, he wants this to be a mutual decision and let me acknowledge that I have the freedom to opt out at any moment. Yeah. I was going to, well, I was going to ask you, um, cause we talked a lot about like young men, like some of the bigger issues with like young men and how like, you know, sexually and all that stuff, which young women also struggle with. But what do you think are some of the, the bigger lies that young women tell themselves within the dating realm and, and some of the things that like w- you think that women would struggle with more than men. Hmm. Oh, that's such a big question. I don't know. Do you have a more specific yeah, question? What are issues that young women face relative to, to what specific part of this? Just uh, may- maybe the emotional mm-hmm. side of things, you know, cause I think that in, so in my experience, like with women in general, not in mm-hmm. dating, but is that, it's easier it's easy for men to like just manipulate mm-hmm. and how can you like combat that as a woman well, and, and in no. fairness to men it's quite easy for women to manipulate as well <laughs> but right. um, yeah. I think what comes to mind is that women from my experience have a really visceral desire to be wanted uh, and to belong with someone um, and we can twist ourselves all different ways to try to maintain that feeling of being wanted or to try to protect that feeling of being wanted. And so if we have the attention of a man, um, we can not totally consciously, not totally aware of what we're doing. We can twist our thinking and our actions quite tremendously to try to maintain that attention. Um, And we we don't really know how to do that well. We don't really know what that means. We only have these messages from the world that you, know, you can't say no to the physical requests um, because they'll take that as rejection. They'll move on to someone who's more willing. Um, Which sociologically, like the studies that have been done on that are that that's exactly what men do. Mm-hmm. They look for all things being equal, the woman willing to go right. farthest. And even within Christian circles. And women know that from cultural messages and from personal experience that men will walk away. Some men will walk away. Uh, if you don't give them the thing they want right now in the moment. And I think what a lot of women lack is the the ability to look further down the road and think, is that the kind of man that I want to keep? <laughs> that a man who's going to walk away if I don't satisfy his most basic physical urges in the moment. That mm-hmm. is that the kind of man that I want as my partner for the rest of my life? No. So if he walks yeah. away, that's a win for me. But most women uh, are so 
deeply craving that feeling of being wanted and they lack it from intimacy with Christ or from loving family relationships, community, that they're willing to buy, believe those lies or ignore the things they know in order to keep that thing. Yeah, I think I th- one of the things I've seen in like counseling younger people too is it that there's there's a there's a misunderstanding that tends to rise up between men and women, particularly people who are trying to utilize sex in a way that's relatively godly, and that is that there's this profound fear among men that they're going to try to be sexually pure, right? Not have sex, marry a woman, right? And what they're hoping for is they'll marry this woman and they'll have a very vibrant and enjoyable sexual relationship. But one of their biggest fears is, is that they're going to do all this and they're going to marry this woman, be limited to this woman the rest of their life and find out that she's a sexless wonder, like that she is an unsexual being and doesn't want to have sex. And then the guy is going to be stuck, right? And so a woman who restrains herself sexually to a younger man can easily seem like a woman who's not a very sexual creature. And so the fear can be like, if she doesn't do what I'm hoping to do right now, it's really because she doesn't want to for some strange reason. And if I marry her, what I'm going to end up with is this like woman who doesn't want to do anything, which is something I'm terrified mm-hmm. of because I hear about sexless marriages. I hear that marriage ends mm-hmm. romances. I hear that, right? And I'm terrified of that. And women then recognize that, um, they, and then they see men behaving out of that fear, mm-hmm. I think. And so I've actually talked to women where I've said to them two things, either A, at some point in a relationship, you need to tell the person you're seeing that you are a sexual creature and are looking forward mm-hmm. to a very active and vibrant sexual relationship and that do not mistake the dignity of my attempt to be virtuously restrained from a desire that within the context of being able to give myself fully to it. Mm-hmm. Or, or secondly, there are some women who try to be so modest in the early part of a dating relationship that they're not putting off any really feminine sexual energy at all and that will shut a guy down fast too. So there's there's a strange relationship where a man needs to sense that there that the woman is putting off some feminine sexual energy that is she has a deep and meaningful femininity that's connected to her sexuality that that's that that's online and secondly that it seems decently likely that she'll be a sexually active creature in a marriage. Men need on a very deep level to know that. And so a woman has to be able to communicate that without communicating it by having sex with them. I actually followed that advice when we were dating um, because we're both pretty tactile people. And I, because I told you <laughs> probably, that, right? um, didn't I tell you some of that stuff when we were Skyping? Probably so at either Skyping or just when I was around here at the church. But um, yeah, I, there were several points in dating where I found myself like putting the brakes on and I found, I was afraid that he was going to think that about me. And so mm-hmm. I just very explicitly told him, like, I just want you to know that the reason I'm saying no is because I want sex with you, not because I don't. <laughs> because I right. know that there's a certain threshold that I'm not going to be able to pull myself back from. And right. there's certainly one where you're not going to pull yourself back from it. I don't want to be fighting you off of me. Um, that doesn't right. help my romance. Um, and yeah. I just want you to know that I'm really looking forward to this <laughs> and um, yeah. don't ruin it for us. <laughs> yeah. I know. I think that's super important. And I, I, let me just add one thing about this. Cause it's, I think it's important that 
um, I tell guys, you want a woman who will not have sex with you before you get married. Because Laura Winner, who's a scholar at Duke, says, Satan tempts us to have sex with our boyfriends before we get married and not to have sex with our husbands after we get married. And partly because people, people see, people don't like non-romantic ideas. But the thing that keeps you having sex in your marriage, especially in the first 10 or 12 years, is self-control. The very thing that kept you as a woman from, from having sex is the thing that later on you're kind of like, I've had two kids, I've been nursing for three hours, uh, my sex drive is zero because I haven't gotten enough sleep and I've been touched and touched and touched, but I'm married to a man and we haven't had sex in four to 12 days and he's my husband and it's time to like get after it or let him get after me. And for a lot of women, there's a decade or more, especially during the childbearing years, where if, a, if there is a sex-filled marriage, a lot of the sex, maybe half of the sex to two-thirds of it, is the woman either having sex that she not, would not have picked out of self-control, just she's just loving her husband. Or two, when sex is initiated, she's not very into it, but she goes, you know what, no, we, yes, we can do this. And then she gets into it as the thing progresses. And then maybe a third of the time. But like there were, there could be whole months, like depending on how hard, like especially when it gets postpartum mm-hmm. depression, even if it's fairly light, it just kills your sex drive. And so I tell guys, no, you want a woman who you can sense has sex, real sexual energy and will not have sex with you. That, it, that bodes the best for your sex life after you marry. I think, I, well, yeah. And because I think like a woman who is, is like firm in the truth that she doesn't want to have sex before marriage you could also assume that that woman is just like firm in the truth all around. And like it is Paul says that you should not restrain from sex within marriage. And so if a woman is saying no before marriage, mm-hmm. there's most likely she's going to going to be know what the truth is in the Bible. And she's going to be like, yeah, let's. Yeah. And that's true for men, too. So yeah, I, I remember uh, when I was yeah, in my right, right. 30s, I was trying to figure out what to tell junior high kids about not having sex. Right. And I, I it occurred to me one day to ask my wife because I was traveling a decent amount at the time. And I said, Alexi, and I was a total dating philanderer um, in my early years before God really got a hold of me. I dated tons of different women, and I had a very philandering kind of attitude. And so when I got married, I've always had this. Like it's, I just practiced connecting with women through these later teen years, and that's it, always hurt me, right? And so even though that's true about me, I asked Alexi when we were like 32, I said, I said hey, when we travel, do you ever worry that I'm going to mess around with some woman I meet? And she was like... Huh, that's a good question. She's like, not really. And I was like, well, why? And she's like, I'm not really sure. But I was like, okay, let me ask you this. Is the fact that we dated for three and a half years and you knew that I was madly in love with you and wanted to just grab you and do all kinds of things to you and we didn't? Does that factor in? And she's like, yeah. I mean, yeah, like, I was 20 in my peak we were madly in love. If in, if in three and a half years, you didn't have sex with me, how is some bimbo at a Hilton going to turn you over in you know, like three hours? It's just not going to happen. She doesn't have a chance because you have the character to say no. And that's not perfect. But what I realized was, even though we didn't have the gift of the enjoyment of sex during our dating relationship, she was getting a gift from our restraint at that point, 10 years into our marriage. And at this point, 20 years into our marriage. Yeah, the gift last is going to last way yeah. longer than that. Yeah. Well, that, uh, you guys well, so I think it could be helpful to all of this is probably very new for a lot of people. So I think it can be helpful to walk through just a couple of objections. And in 
Yeah, there's one I wanted to talk about. Yeah, so in the Raising Purity book, um, he walks through a couple of the common, the the most common things that he's heard from young people after he's talked about this idea, objections to this basic way of doing things. So objection number one would be that a dating friendship is too insecure and vulnerable since it lacks commitment. So what would you guys say could be potential answers to that objection? Objection number one being a dating friendship is too insecure and vulnerable since it lacks commitment. I think it's it's good that it lacks commitment. That's what I would say. That you're not supposed to be committed. Just like we said, you're, you're not supposed to look like you're married before you're actually married. Right. You should be pretending that a transitional relationship is a permanent one. It's not. So it shouldn't be. Yeah. You know, and you don't want that. I, I just guarantee you, if you're a woman listening, especially, you don't want a guy you're dating to think that your relationship is anything right. but a trans transitional right. relationship, because he'll just get comfortable in it, especially if he's getting what he wants sexually. I mean, if you want to slow down your relationship to six years before he decides to do something, just have sex with your boyfriend. Yeah, I just, just yeah. guarantee you, you'll date him at least twice as long as you yeah. would have. I think something that was helpful for me too, as an answer to this objection, is. A dating relationship, quote unquote, is not any more secure than a quote unquote dating friendship. That just because you're saying, oh, we are committed to each other, we promise until we aren't and I don't like you anymore, doesn't make you more committed. And so it creates this pseudo commitment that is a more unsafe place. It just makes you more devastated when the person dumps you. Right. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask you next is that. Is that when it comes to like time, mm-hmm. and usually, usually with with time means more exclusivity mm-hmm. in uh, these in dating in the worldly sense right. of dating. Certainly and more so, entanglement. Entanglement, right? And you've talked about like you you want to get to the point where if you break up or if you cut things off with the girl, you're not like devastated right. or like you freaking right. out because of my, that. Right. My goal is to to be not so entangled that. It would be, you know, some massive kind of ripping apart of two lives. So the example of this was over the summer, I was going on dates with a young woman for a couple of months and it was good. It was long distance, but it was good. And I made clear from the beginning, you know, the point of what we're doing right now is we're trying to discern whether or not this is going to happen and or not is is an important part of whether or not. So three months in sort of logistically it didn't work out she was moving to california i was planning on staying in madison neither one of us really wanted to bridge that distance gap so it ended it's a good test right. it is a good test in relationships when something comes up and you decide whether or not you want to be with each other enough to to put something else yeah. aside and right. what i found really helpful that was a that just felt like a confirmation of doing this the right way was the next day people were like dude how you doing i was like I feel fine. <laughs> you know, like I yeah. feel, even though she seemed like, she's a, right, really, she's great a really great girl. Right. It was, it was really like, by all means, I've, I have no regrets of the relationship mm-hmm. and it was, it went well, but we were keeping in front of us the whole time that this could work or it could right. not. And either yeah. way, and I, and she is probably a win. felt similarly. Right. It wasn't devastating for right. her either. You know, well, Nick, you talked about in one of your sermons that, um, even dating for long periods of time is like, it's a, it's greed, in a way, right? And how how does that work? I think it I think it really can be. So I think if if you're sorting out if 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 a dating relationship. Okay, so can we step back a second? Because I feel like one one of the objections 
that young men have in the sort of failure to launch mm-hmm. movement of men is why do I have to do any of this? Mm. So they're like, what? Like, I don't. Why should I work really hard and die seven years before a woman? Why should I like marry somebody who can? I can have two children with. She can just divorce me, take my children, never let me see them, take my money. Like, like, why should I play any of this game? This is all stupid. Sex dolls are just a few thousand dollars. There's tons of porn, and like, I don't understand why this is necessary, right? And there's plenty of women who will have sex with guys who know how to seduce them without any more commitment, right? And so, and so for a Christian, I think it's important to ground this in the creation mandate and what human beings are mm-hmm. for. And the creation mandate is for us to have dominion over the created order and to multiply and fill it, which includes being fruitful mm-hmm. and multiplying. And that in Malachi, at the end of the Old Testament, where God is summarizing some of this, he says that his desire was that there would be godly offspring. That mm-hmm. image-bearing human beings would be born and be trained to be godly. That is, to live out the image of God well. And for that, um, in that context, he he's attacking divorce. Because he believes staying with the wife of your youth is important. So this is what some people call your starter wife. Like you're, the woman you fall in love with when you're young. That that woman that you come together with and have children with. Like in her youth, she gives you her fertility and you come together in responsibility and form a house and, and you have children together. God's What God's after is he wants those children. To, he doesn't just want new humans. He wants new humans that become godly, which means you need to stay together and raise your children in godliness, right? In which you have to stay teamed up, right? And he's, he's like, that's what I want. So like when, I, when Lex and I got married, like what drove me to want to get married, what drove me to have children what drove me to do almost all the things I've done family-wise is because I believe the reason I exist is to fulfill the creation mandate and as I go to preach the redemption mandate in Jesus. But even people who believe the redemption mandate, that you can you can be made new in Christ. Made new to and for what? And the answer is to stand up and take hold of the original human purpose in the creation mandate. The redemption mandate is to reinstate the creation mandate, which is for all of us to come together as men and women in the complementary union, right? And to bring dominion over the earth, which is not a rapacious, destructive one, but which is like a loving, nurturing, bringing out the true potential of something, which requires both men and women and for them to make new humans that are raised as God's godly offspring. That's the purpose of our humanity. And so what I would say to somebody is, until you re- until you receive that as the the reason you bear the image of God, it is the basis of your human dignity. It's the reason people aren't allowed to just kill you, because of how much dignity is in that in your personhood as a human being. But bound up in that is your mandate as a human being, which includes the use of your fertility to glorify God, in the complementary union with one woman, the wife of your youth. Right? If you realize that that's the human mandate, then in bravery you have to embrace it with all your heart. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's a there's just as many like derogatory term for women out there as derogatory term for men out there. That's totally true. And so engaging in prudence and in wisdom through a dating friendship to figure out who you really want to bind yourself together with and being wise about that is super important. And putting the right pressures on people for them to have all the incentives to act as honorably as possible rather than as dishonorably as possible is extremely important too. Some things we can't control, like the legal divorce culture. Christians can't control the divorce laws in America. They're terrible. They're very destructive. There's not much we can do about that. 
but we can fight for a good culture of bonding to coming together and of having strong relationships built on the right stuff. We can fight for a good quote dating culture, which is what we're trying to talk about right now. So let's cover just a couple more objections quickly. And then I think I forgot your question was, you could bring it back up if you want. But I, I, th- I feel like men have to get grounded yeah. in that, especially yeah. men. I, women are so tied in to their fertility as part of their like body stature and how their their body goes through fair, like phases of their life, mm-hmm. and like there's there's a lot like bound up in that. And like men seem to be able to deceive themselves, right? Because if a woman has a child, they're bound so closely mm-hmm. bodily to that child, and that child makes them more vulnerable. And so, gaining the security of a stable relationship is biologically more fundamental. Right to their existence right. as, as well as the certain stretch of time that they have in order to establish right. that relationship. Right. And so for, for men don't mentally connect with that mm-hmm. as well because the baby doesn't grow inside of us and we don't nurse it. And we like we're uh, our responsibility for the protection of that woman and that child is a slightly more remote, which means in order for us to really connect with it, it has to go deeper inside of us morally and spiritually. But meanwhile, women tend to be more active in their religious faith and more active in their moral thinking, whereas men need to do that. It used to be that men were the leaders in theology and morality. And it's for that reason, because we have to take certain abstract notions and press them into the actual actions of our living in ways that women are forced into them in more direct ways. And so I think Christian men need to get a hold of who they are, what they are, what that's for, and and believe in it. I believe you have to be as romantic about what you are as a human being and what you're meant Mm. to be and therefore what marriage is as any romance about any particular Mm. woman. Does that make sense? Yeah. So objection three, uh, a dating friendship is unable to give enough information regarding the appropriateness of a future marriage. I think we more or less covered that. I definitely want to yell negative cuss words. Right. That. <laughs> yeah, that, right. <laughs> I mean, I guess you can, you can say a bad word and then say, yeah, <laughs> and then it's a positive cuss right. word in a way. But like, yeah, that's just so. Yeah, naive. I think the biggest thing is, is exactly what we said earlier. What? That's part of the problem with dating, right? Like you're making a huge decision in one of the most naive eras of your life. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's why you should not be engaging in dating with unconnected to older people. That's why you need to have people in their thirties and forties and fifties and sixties and seventies in your life, asking them about what you're doing and who you're dating and all of that. Right. Like, yeah, you need to be discipled. Yeah. And well, and that's why like, the, the the young woman that you're seeing right, right now is somebody that I recommended. Right. Which which I right? appreciate. So Yeah. I mean like like the old guy who's been married for twenty years and has four children. And knows like, both of us well. Woman, right. Yeah. Yeah. It, like that's helpful. Mm-hmm. And I think that and that's one of the reasons why I think church being a place where romances can blossom is good on a lot right. of levels. Yeah, and I think another another answer to the object to that objection is establishing a sexual relationship doesn't give you information that's helpful for your marriage relationship, which is all the research says. It's just the opposite. Once people start having sex, they start talking less. A lot of what leads to these like hours and hours and hours of conversations that like I had with Alexi was all the sexual tension. Like because I had all the sexual drive to connect with her more deeply and I couldn't do it by taking off her clothes. I had to do it by talking to her. And so I asked her questions and we talked and we talked and we talked passionately about all kinds of things. Now you could say that was all naive stupidity. You really just wanted to have sex. There's some truth to that. There's definitely some truth to that. But I also found out so much about her story and who she was and what she believed in and what she really cared about too. 
It was both of those things. The altered state of consciousness that arousal creates, even in talking in a dating relationship, still is driving you. The question is driving you, what are you going to use that drive towards? And you can use it for the intimacy of talking. And that will lead you to the things you really do need to know. Great. So next objection. So objection four. Um, and these are all just in one of the chapters in Heiston's book. Um, objection four. It's not reasonable to think that our children can treat a person that they are considering for marriage as quote unquote, just a friend. Hmm. Yeah. I, I've said that. But yeah. I think there's some truth to that. Yeah, I, I do too. Uh, but I don't think that that is a sufficient objection. I think, like, you know, Andy Stanley always says, is it a problem to be solved or a tension mm-hmm. to be managed? Yes, whenever you get a woman, a man and a woman together in any relationship, even incestuous ones, there is always a certain amount of sexual energy between every man yeah. and woman in every situation. In most cases, we can have virtue enough to manage it just fine, right? Depending on how strong the taboos are, depending on how stronger we are virtuously and so on and so forth. So, yeah, it is true that men and women are naturally going to bond. And if you have a dating friendship mm-hmm. with somebody, you are naturally, it's naturally going to be incu- imbued with increasing amounts of yeah. sexual energy. That's, yeah. I think that's just yeah. natural and true. But it can be managed for quite a while if you have good boundaries and if you're really focusing right. on talking and getting to right. know each other. And then, yeah, that, that sexual energy is supposed to make you want to take yeah. it further. The thing is, is, is taking it further trying to get her blouse off or is taking it further going to look at diamonds? Right. Or like deciding what future right. you might have or like saving up for a house down payment. Right. Right. You know what I mean? That's the question. And see, like, that's why it's very important for both men and women. It, in some ways you want, it would be great if women would be like, you're not having sex with me. And then the guy's like, oh, I guess I better save up for a down payment. But the, the problem is, is that like, that's never going to work. Like, yes, women generally control when sex happens. And so women need to deal with that. Like it's a big responsibility, but they really shouldn't have to. And the thing is, is women are so much weaker than it's actually good that most young men don't realize that. Like in my generation, women have this mystique about them, partly because I had a brother and no sisters. So women had this mystique about them and I didn't know how manipulatable they were in the ways Hannah was talking about how like they just want to be wanted so much that if you just listen to one, they'll fall into your arms. I didn't know that. Right. Once guys like a lot of teenage guys like kind of know that now and like women are so like are so harassed and helpless in the dating scene right now in a lot of ways that it's really bad. And so, but guys should be driving it. Guys should be like, I want this woman for for everything that she is, including her sexuality. And what's it going to take to get there? And the answer is make her my wife. Yeah. Heistand answers the objection in in a similar way. He says, um, the neighbor relationship doesn't insist that all relationships within the quote unquote neighbor relationship are the same, just that the sexual boundaries are the same. So, Right. Right. They shouldn't be, quote, unquote, just a friend. There is something different happening here. But right. not being just a friend does not mean they can be not just a friend sexually. Right. You want to go over it? No, that's it? All right. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was good. This stuff. is one of those subjects that can kind of go right. on right. forever. Right. Yeah, I was going to say, like, we're out of time, but I feel like in the future we might have another go over this again because there's so much stuff that, that you can cover. And this, thanks for joining us, Hannah. It was good to have yeah, you. Yeah, nice to contribute some non-testosterone to this room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, see you guys in the next one. Bye.